you need to give them something that they can take away. You know, that's sort of like evoking emotion so they feel good or feel sad or feel changed by what they've seen. If we're going to work every day, we want to give them something. I, I want to give them something that they can walk away with. Welcome to the Small Business Celebration Podcast, a podcast by successful small business owners for business owners like you, so you can grow a strong and profitable business and use something you learned on this podcast today. Our guest is Barry Gribben of Home Run Entertainment, and he's going to guide us on the importance of finding your niche, knowing your customer, and the importance of understanding what each of your team members do. But before we get into this wide-ranging conversation, let's hear a quick word from our sponsors. At Claro Tire Company, we know that you want to be safe and secure riding on tires from a family who cares about your family as much as we care for our own. In order to do that, you need quality tires from a family you trust. The problem is, is that there are a hundred different national tire stores in town and their buying process is a chore and they treat you like a faceless number. We believe that you and your family are an extension of our family. We understand the noise you feel with the hundreds of faceless different tire companies that treat you like a faceless number. And that is why we at Claro Tire Company have one of the largest repeat customer bases in Kern County for the last 77 years. Here's how we do it. When you come into Claro Tire, you're not just a number, you become family. We select the specific tire that's the safest for your family, your car, and your budget. We install your tires and give you an unconditional guarantee on your tires. Join the Claro Tire Company family at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield, California, or call us at 661-324-6069 or find us on our website at clarotire.com. That's C-L-E-R-O-U tire.com. Stop the feeling of faceless confusion from 100 different national tire stores. Join the family with the Claro Tire Company family. You'll be glad you did. Claro Tire Company, 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield, California, or call us at 661-324-6069 or find us on our website at clarotire.com. That's C-L-E-R-O-U tire.com. As a business owner, you are a visioneer, and you are ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than your mainstream competition. But what about your message? If your clients and customers don't clearly understand what you can do for them, you are leaving money on the table. If you confuse, you lose. Here at Small Business Celebration, we have a seven-step solution that can clarify your message and put you in the game. Don't leave money on the table. Go to smallbusinesscelebration.com and schedule an introduction today. Welcome, visioneers and small business owners. I'm Michael Roberts with the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and our guest today is Barry Gribben with Home Run Entertainment. How you doing, Barry? I'm good, Michael. Thanks for having me on. The reason I've got Barry from Home Run Entertainment here is to help explain how the small business world works within this multi-billion dollar industry here in California. And to help clarify the notion that com- that networks like Fox, NBC, the Food Network, 
uh, HGTV, others produce all of their own content. So tell us a little bit, Barry, about what it is that Home Run Entertainment does. Well, Home Run Entertainment, we create content and live events. So we, we create something that evokes an emotion. Is what mm. We do it. And it's, it, it can be digital content, it can be TV shows, and it can be live events, which quite often involve a lot of video and sometimes end up being a TV show. <laughs> so you go through and you shoot a whole bunch of stuff, splice it together, and hope you sell it, huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the joy is that we sell it first, and then we go make it. Excellent. And for those of you who aren't, who aren't familiar, Barry Gribben here, he has been a Telly Award winner 22 times, which is not a small feat. And tell us, Barry, tell us a little bit about the Telly Awards and why this is so significant. Well, you know, there's... A gazillion cable channels, and there's a lot of programming on all of them. So the Telly Awards address cable programming, mm-hmm. specifically nonfiction cable programming. Mm-hmm. But there's still a lot of categories. There's, you know, reality shows, the sporting competitions, the cooking shows. So, you know, we, co- we compete in our different categories, but that, the idea is that we get recognized for that. And so there's the Platinum and the Gold Telly Awards. Excellent. And like I said, you've won them 22 times in a row. And you've also won the James Bearden Culinary Award nominee for that. You've also won awards from the American Medical Association and from Heal the Bay, the Walk the Talk Award, which actually is a very significant award, too. Tell us a little bit about Heal the Bay and the Walk Walk the Talk Award. Heal the Bay started out as a Southern California organization, nonprofit that was trying to clean up the ocean waters, and now they've Expanded over to the West Coast, um, dealing with ocean waters and storm water and trying to preserve water. So, I mean, they literally monitor the water quality of every beach from Mexico to Canada. Mm. Um, and then also in the greater L.A. area, which is a sub-Saharan desert, <laughs> <laughs> where we don't have enough water to survive, they're helping lead the charge on ways to figure out how to capture storm water and clean the water we do have and try to you know, make it more sustainable and healthy for everybody. So um, I've been, it's a great organization. I've been involved with them. I've been on their board now 15 years. Um, but early on, they gave us uh, their yearly gala. They gave me the Walk and Talk Award for uh, the volunteer work I was doing with them and helping them shape their message. Let's take a step back real quick and give some context to our listeners you go through and you create the, the digital, the, the video content, and then how do you present that or sell it to the network, and how does that whole business aspect work? Yeah, so what, if you're watching television or you're on a premium digital platform, you know, Amazon, Hulu, you know, YouTube, um, you, see, you see this content, you see a TV show, what have you, and it's not produced by the network you're watching. Mm. Food Network doesn't produce any Food Network programming. They hire small businesses like mine to produce this content for them. And so our uh, sales process is we come up with ideas, mm-hmm. um, you know, concept for a show, like if it's a competition reality show, like these are the steps to the game. Or if it's a personality-driven thing, with like work a lot with Chef Jet Tila. And so Jet and I will like kind of brainstorm, like, oh, let's have you go do this. And so we'll come up with that concept, um, and make a make a PowerPoint deck, a sales tool, basically. Mm-hmm. Sometimes shoot a little video mm-hmm. if it's if you need to tell the story that way. Um, and so we take that and we, we go to the different distributors, Food Network, um, you know, A and E networks, Discovery Channel networks, um, the platforms, Amazon, and we basically try to sell them. And if they like it, 
then they pay us to go make it. Hmm. So we're not cash flowing necessarily. We're not making something, then selling it. We're actually selling it, then making it. So it's backwards to most uh, most conventional business models. Correct, because it's got to be custom crafted, right? Each one is unique. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no two TV shows or digital platform shows are the same. So they, whoever's going to distribute it and sell it for you, um, they want their input on it. You know, our our shows all look like this or sound like this or they're 22 minutes long or 23 minutes longer. So, you know, you're custom making it for them. As but, well as setting this up for not just local distribution, but foreign distribution as well, and the variances in those programmings as well, correct? Yeah. So that's a whole other model. Sometimes, you know, once I sell it nationally, I'll go sell it internationally, or quite often, you know, they'll take care of all that for me. So it's, and the world's really changing now because mm-hmm. that was the model for a long time um, because content was expensive to make. Mm. And now, you know, uh, the world has changed with technology becoming much more affordable. And so there's a lot of people creating content and then going to figure out how they're going to get paid for it. Mm. So that's a big shift that's happening in our industry right now. Mm-hmm. And it's a big shift for companies like mine because before we didn't have to necessarily get financing up front for anything because we were going to get financing from the distributor. Right. And now, you know, if we can get financing for a project, we can make it, own it, distribute it ourselves you know, or at least get a better distribution deal. Right. Um, so it's really become more of like how the people make films because that's is how people you, traditionally have made films is, you know, they make it and then someone buys it from them. Sure, after sure, it's done. sure. So that's that's why the the world is changing there. And has the is the amount of volume of content also changed because you still have a lot of the cable networks, but now you have Amazon, Hulu, uh, Apple. Et cetera, et cetera, Netflix, all of them coming in. Has the has the base gotten larger as far as content creation? Uh, there's definitely many more places uh, to distribute content. Um, a lot of places are buying less than they used to, mm-hmm. especially some of your cable networks, mm-hmm. um, because of the competition that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of the prices have dropped. You know, what people are willing to pay because. Um, with these new platforms and these new technologies, they're not getting the same viewership. Right. So you take your broadcast networks, ABC, NBC, Fox, CBS, they call themselves broadcast because they have to appeal to a very broad audience. Right. Because the, the, make the math work on the way they sell commercials to pay for their shows, they need millions of people to watch them. Right, right. And, you know, I have a YouTube channel where... I have a video about slicing onions. I've had 5 million views in four years, right? <laughs> That's great. I'll take 5 million views in four years. Sure. You know, if you're watching, you know, Young Sheldon on CBS, they need 5 million people and every night. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, there is a lot more places to sell, but it's all about you know, what, where's the viewership come from and how long does it take to get that kind of viewership? And is that one of the ways that home run entertainment is so strong in in the business is because of your ability to target specific demographics very well? Uh, we always try to find where there's a, a need or a problem to be solved and drill deep. Okay, very uh, good. I uh, back in the like beginning, back in the days, uh, <laughs> like the beginning of HGTV. Mm-hmm. Ninety three, nineteen ninety three, nineteen ninety four. That was forever ago. Yes, and I 
fortunately produced the first show that actually aired on HTV. Wow. When they faded up from black. <laughs> on, I think it's December 30th, 1993. My show was there. And, you know, as soon as I, and I was out like shooting people in their homes and people were like, there's not going to be a whole network about people decorating their houses. I'm like, yes, there is. <laughs> They're like, that's crazy talk. I'm like, it's going to happen. And, you know, that was a niche that seemed very narrow at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they learned how to drill deep on that category. Right. And they're, you know, they, they made some, an entire category that didn't exist. I started joking about, about the same thing with Food Network that Food Network understood that so well, well that nobody competed against them. So they went and launched the Cooking Channel. Most people don't know that Food Network owns Cooking Channel. Oh, wow. I didn't know that either. <laughs> they are their own competition. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till my wife finds out about this. <laughs> and they're both doing great. Right. <laughs> So, I mean, they, you know, I, I'm a big believer in following that hole and drilling deep. Uh-huh. Um, I remember this network, the DIY, the do-it-yourself network. Mm-hmm. Love that. I love that network. Yeah. It's oddly owned by the same people on HGTV. Um, <laughs> and early on, and we were doing some shows for them and trying to figure out how it works and were the shows being too educational and not entertainment enough. Mm-hmm. You know, we we spent too much time showing you how to hammer a nail versus how to build a house. And and so I looked into different subjects and I realized that jewelry making as a hobby was a three and a half billion dollar business. Yeah. And I looked into it and then I happened to find an actress, Jackie Guerra, who had just gotten nominated for a couple of Emmys for some work she had done. And she was a home stay at home jewelry maker. And this was, I, I packaged her and the idea We'll go in studio, we'll bring a bunch of guests in, they'll show us how to make jewelry. And that works like, that sounds like a horrible show. <laughs> and I showed, I just put all the research in front of them, and they're like, oh, okay, well, let's try this. And guess what? Somebody watched it. A lot of people watched it. <laughs> we did over 100 episodes. <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't like jewelry making very much. <laughs> but you do enjoy the paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> but it's finding those kind of... I love finding those kind of holes. With all the success that you have building content for the networks, why do you still do live production? Uh, I like doing live events, and we primarily do live events as f- for nonprofits mm-hmm. um, because they're all small businesses. And I like working with them because by the time they need help with their fundraising, uh, we're talking like either a hotel gala, you know, where you come and sit at table at 10 and maybe black tie and they we give out some awards and maybe some performers. We do that. We do a, a street festival where we shut down a whole area of this downtown town in, El, in uh, Los Angeles and artists come on do their booths and there's a beer garden and there's a main stage and we raise money for that. Um, by the time your event's getting big enough that you need someone like me or my, my team, mm-hmm. you're ready to take that next step. And that's what I'm excited about. It's like, okay, let's figure out how you take this next step because Nonprofits, you mentioned Heal the Bay, who are clean the ocean waters, uh, Homeboy Industries, mm-hmm. who work with uh, convicts coming out of prison, getting them jobs and getting them. It's like they're really good at doing that. Right. They're not really good at coming up. And it's not their job to like make logos and invitations and seating charts and right. hiring fantastic lighting designers and scenic builders. <laughs> so, you know, I love being able to help those businesses. And then we produce a lot of video content that plays back at those, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the HBA Awards, which is for Hollywood's Outstanding Post-Production. Mm-hmm. We do 
16 videos at four minutes apiece. I mean, that's over an hour of produced content plus the live show. So um, I love working with those organizations and helping them grow. And also as a business owner, those are perennial, right? right. The, the TV and the digital gigs come and go, but mm-hmm. especially the award shows we do three ho- industry Hollywood award shows. Mm-hmm. They happen every year. Right. You know, our, our street festival happens every year. And we're uh, last year we did a golf tournament. I think I were doing two more golf tournaments this year for uh, sports celebrities. Right. You know, so I like those sort of perennial things from as a business owner. Tell us a little bit about how you got started into this business. How did you how did you create Home Run Entertainment? And was there somebody who came along that was able to be your mentor or help you help give you credibility to help you start this business? Oh, it's Hollywood. We've got a thousand stories about that. So, uh, I mean, back in the day, I went to college and got a television and film degree because mm-hmm. I knew I'd want to be in this business. Mm-hmm. Um. While I was at college, we would they would bring alumni back to educate us. Mm-hmm. And one was this gentleman, Rack Clark, Dick Clark's son, who's a very well-established producer of his own right. And uh, so when I moved to Los Angeles, he's like, call my dad. <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm like, I call Dick Clark. And, you know, he, had, he has a production company. And yep. I called him, and, and he said, well, come in here and meet me if you know my son. And he was very gracious, and I put on my suit and tie and went down there and, uh, and met with them and talked to him. And he does all these award shows and TV shows. And he's like, well, we basically start in the mailroom. He started, you know, making copies and things like that. Sure. And I'm like, he's like, you know, it's small money, but you'll, you'll learn how to make TV shows. Right. And funny when I thanked him at the end, when I was walking out of the door, he also said, and, don't ever wear a tie to an interview in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> and he was dressed up very nicely. And I was like, oh, thank you, Mr. Clark. That's good advice. I just assumed you'd be wearing a tie too. And he said, yeah, I'm hosting the $10,000 pyramid this afternoon. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I bounced around and you learned how to make shows from – but I, same thing. I was going to the little companies like my – like Home Run, right. I was now working. Dick Clark's a pretty sizable company; it's much right. bigger now. Uh, but you know, I left there to work with Tall Pony. You haven't heard of them? You've seen a lot of their shows, right? And then uh, with Kimber Rickabaugh, I forget the name of her company, but she was very gracious and brought me into her company to do shows. With. So you kind of learn those things along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, I started doing these things for HGTV. Um, eventually, they. Uh, I joined the staff of HGTV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called Scripps Networks. Mm-hmm. Um, what I didn't know is they were in negotiations to buy Food Network, which was a, owned by another company. Right. So, so they bought Food Network, and now all of a sudden I got real busy because uh-huh. you know I had to find producers and small production companies that could make shows about food. And if you ever saw Food Network in the late '90s, it was all in studio three cameras one guy with a pot like store, cutting and chopping <laughs> sounds but, like qvc yeah there literally was a show called how to boil water <laughs> <laughs> which they did more than that but they everything involved boiling some water you right? know you know maybe i should watch that because i'm really good at burning water so you know. <laughs> but honestly i mean i just i was working as hard as i could and i kept thinking like if i left scripts you know i could go out and start my own company and like yeah, do something 
Real the, big. That yeah, something something I was, I could have my imprint on and my but I'm like I'm not leaving. Yeah. You know, Vice President Production, West Coast. I got you know, we got a lot of things going on. Right. You know? And uh you know, I was also doing things like getting married and you know small income. buying houses and life life things like that. Sure, sure. Um and then uh nine eleven happened. Mm. And pretty much all the cable networks just start slashing budgets because advertisers stopped advertising because mm. it was just like, you know, we were all kind of in that free fall panic of what's the world going to be now. Right. And I'm like looking around like, Hmm, probably gonna start getting rid of the production people first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the people at scripts, they offered that I could stay on. And I said, what if I left? Could you guarantee that I could take one of the shows I'm doing basically in-house, out-of-house with me? And they're like, we want you to succeed. And they gave me more than one show to take with me. Wow. And they helped me start my business. Wow. They're like, we, you know how to make the shows we want, so we want you to succeed. So, you know, those f- first couple of years wouldn't have happened without the commitments from the Scripps Networks folks. Sure. And... For our listeners, this is something that's very significant, and it's something that we talk a lot about on this show, is giving value first. Because the reason why Scripps was willing to part with two of their money-making shows and, and trust them in your care is because you had done so well with them in the first place. And they knew that those shows were going to be in good hands when the shows left their care and into yours. That's correct, because it's, you know, you want a continuity, right? If the right. viewers tuning in, they want to see the same show they, they like. Right. You know, and it, since everything, since a TV or live event is custom made by hand, mm-hmm. you can't help but if you give it to somebody else, it's going to change. Sure. Because it's just, you know, no two people are the same. So that's, that's a challenge as a business owner. You know, the people I employ, like mm. the editors of a show, Mm-hmm. I'm like, if I got to change editors on the show, it's still got to look like the last editor. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can't be like, you're not the auteur now. You're, you got to follow the model. Right. And that's, you know. And that's a real challenge. It is. And I'm small business to see that all the time. And I can imagine restaurants like you can't, the food's got to taste the same. Right. Right. <laughs> when you change people on the line and, you know, as a business owner, you got to be that quality control guy. Right. Right. While also saying, you know, Quite often people come like, I got a better idea. We could do it this way. I'm like, ah, no, it's good enough. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't want to change it. Yes, your idea is probably is better, but, you know, they, they like their vanilla ice cream like this. Right, right. Now, keep in mind that this show is a rated G show. <laughs> but I'm sure there is, there is something that's happened along the way that you've learned from. And being Hollywood, the, the stories about Hollywood are notorious and rampant and that sort of thing. Um, <clears throat> but uh, what are some of the things that uh, – what, what, what's, a, what's a favorite failure that, or, or a lesson that you learned that, that you learned early on that you continue to uh, keep as a teachable moment to remember? <laughs> well, uh I started working with a new... I love new channels, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When, You're taking a risk on a new project, yeah. Yeah. But also, they don't... They need a lot of content, right? right? Yeah. Their shelves are bare, right? right? So you like them. Mm-hmm. And the cable network, when they start, they'll go out and license existing things, sure, right? Sure, sure. Um, so, the network TV1 launched, 
which is it's aimed at an African American audience. Okay. But very much in the lifestyle space. Mm-hmm. You know, there's BET, which has the same audience, but you know, there's they're very more youth and music oriented. So this is so it's obvious that we would go pitch them because they were talking about food and home and gardening and you know, just from an African American perspective. Mm-hmm. And so I uh I saw my gardening show with this guy Sheldon Fleming out of Atlanta. Fantastic guy. He mm-hmm. he built these public gardens, they're healing gardens that people would come to and and I mean he was just a great story. And but we did like real gardening, you know, shovels and dirt. And and then I went to him and I'm like, Sheldon, let's do a product line. Like let's you're gardening, let's sell your gloves. Let's show this let's you know, let's do like start building you as a brand. Sure. And he's like, okay. And so I went about trying that without uh, contacting people who know how to do that. Oops. <laughs> and, you, you mean you just can't walk in and say, hey, this is this is his gloves and buy it? Yeah. You know, you know we got a website up and it's an e-commerce cart and, you know, <laughs> and we started doing some marketing and, it, and the network helped too. Mm-hmm. You know, produce some commercials for air. But, you know, I was really naive on how that's a whole different business. Really? How so? It's just, I mean, you're you're selling tools and you're selling them one by one and you're selling to people. And I'm in a business where I create content to a lot of people. You right. Know, like your podcast, you know, you listen to it individually, but still it's going out to a lot of people. Right. And that idea of like actually touching each customer is such a different thing than what our company does. Or it's like the old adage, know thy customer yes. when you go into business. Exactly, exactly. And I'm, I'm used to businesses being my customers, not consumers. Everything you produce is for the audience, right? You have to think of that. Mm-hmm. Like when I say this, clients are always right. You know, when they're like trying to hit you too hard to put stuff in the show, and you're like, audiences aren't going to like that. Right. Um, and that's a special talent as well, is, and this is something that differentiates a lot of production companies, especially ones that last long term, is to be able to develop that feel or have that feel on knowing what the mass viewer is interested in, what they will what they'll put up with and what they'll enjoy, and being able to be able to, to touch that and know what it is that that's going to work. Yeah, and you need to give them something that they can take away. You know, that's like evoking emotion so they feel good or feel sad or feel changed by what they've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's a lot of things out there now that are just laughs, right? Right, right. Uh, you know, that's, YouTube's built an entire giant industry out of that, and that's great, sure. and they're laughs. Um, but, you know, if we're going to work every day, we want to give them something that they can walk away with and say, hey, did you see that, you know, jet fuel, that new cooking show on YouTube? It's, you know, I can now make pad thai when I thought I never could. You know? Right. It's, you know, you got to make it entertaining. You got to make it engaging, but still you got to, I, I want to give them something that they can walk away with. We want to have a transformative effect. Yeah. On their on their on the viewer. It's just not mindless television. <laughs> Which by the way was another production company altogether, but <laughs> that's Yeah, what, they're a good company. <laughs> they're a good company. Same <laughs> with the events, you know, it's like especially if it's a like a sit down fundraiser gala, mm-hmm. you know. People have if they go to one or two of these a year, they have the preconceived notion like, oh, well, it's gonna be rubber chicken at a table and eventually they're gonna ask everybody to get their wallets out. Right. right. So you know, how can you make it 
engaging or emotional or, you know, something that they'll talk about the next day, not just, ugh, I went to that thing again. So you've, you've been in this business for a couple of years and you've, you've gotten a couple of awards. And one of the things that's kind of cliche about Hollywood is that there's a constant influx of new talent coming into Hollywood because of the Hollywood dream. And for somebody who's coming in that wants to be a producer or learn how to be a producer like yourself, what piece of advice would you give them to do? Um, I think to be a relevant producer, you need to know the exact job of anybody you're going to need to work with or hire. Okay. I think you should be able to do their job, not proficient or well, but you know, at least have an understanding. Yeah. Because you have to manage a lot of people mm. and our business has changed enough that you don't necessarily have people on staff with you all the time because right. we're in this, you know, tradition of partnering with people now, like I'll partner with that company on this one. Cause they have, you know, the post-production needs or I'll partner with them because they're writers that know what they're doing. So it's, you're constantly building teams mm. and dismantling teams. So you've got to really know how to manage people well. And part of managing people is, you know, productivity and accountability, but also it's, you know, making sure they're, they're creating the best results you can get. Right. Cause it's, again, we're custom making something. So you, you need everybody at their best. Sure, sure. And what piece of advice would you suggest that they ignore? Your success rate is very difficult. So you got to just ignore when people say that something's not going to work because most things are not going to work. So you don't know what's going to work until you do it. Mm -hmm. You know, things you think won't won't happen or they're small pieces enough some years later. It's like, well... That's yeah. still on? Yeah. I can't believe it's still running. <laughs> or this is going to be a hit. And no. No. Not going to work at all. Well, I mean, you, oh, you told me that one in our documentary did Discovery Health about children with schizophrenia. Right, right, right. And I'm like, you know, it, it was a powerful piece. And I was, I, I was you know, blessed to work with a good team on that, that we pulled that off because it's a hard story to tell. Right. How many have we done now? Like six of them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this isn't going to fly six seasons later. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, this is this is one story, and we're going to tell this story the best we can, and yep. and you know, walk away comfortable that we, you know, we won a Golden Eagle Award for documentary of that year, and Discovery, you know, played it quite a bit. And, you know, if you notice, I said for Discovery Health, which is a network that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> and we're still, you know, every year or two able to go back and help tell more of that story about children and their, and their disabilities. So, um, that was kind of out of our wheelhouse. Sure. And, but we're like, Oh, this is a great story. Let's do this one. Sure. Sure. And, but again, part of the, the reason I believe the success for that story is because of what you brought up earlier, which is that sense of transformation. And it, you know, it's a very tough story to watch. But at the same time, it's a very fulfilling story when you get to the end because you've taken this very diff difficult journey with that family. And, you know, it's not exactly a bed of roses at the end, but you definitely feel and and you definitely have a, a very transformative effect when you get done watching it. Mm -hmm. What? So you've been doing this for a few years and uh, you've you've had quite uh, one or two <laughs> home, awards home run 16 years old we can, we can get by, some... the, by the way i've always wanted to wonder what's with the baseball 
in the company logo because you don't produce any baseball content that I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, before home run, I did do a, a, a food of the minor league ballparks for another company. Okay. So <laughs> the, uh, the analogy is that television or digital content, it takes a team to win, takes a team to make a hit. Uh, it's not a solo sport like painting or writing a book. So we, I wanted some reference to a team mentality. Nice, nice. And go Dodgers didn't have anything to do with it. No. <laughs> and I've gone to spring training every day of my life, every year of my life, and <laughs> and it's easy to spell. And um, it had helped out at the beginning for branding because everybody could. It's an easy name to remember when I was starting out. Sure. So, what have you gotten better saying no to now that you've you've been able to produce a show or two and, and gain a certain amount of uh, infamy and notoriety in the industry? Uh, every week, people are bringing me ideas mm-hmm. for TV shows or digital shows. And it's just, again, the, the, the sell-through rate is very, very slow. Low. Sell-through rate is low. And you just, you can't, we call it developing. Take an idea and flush it out and maybe make a deck and make sales tools out of it. We call it development because mm-hmm. we don't call it sales because we're Hollywood. So <laughs> we call it development because it sounds better at the cocktail parties. Oh, I'm in development over at uh, Home Run. <laughs> I don't sell a thing, but I'm in development. Yeah. <laughs> right? You, everybody else gets to be an account executive or a sales Sales part. representative or yeah. customer service person. Yes. Yeah. But not in television. You're in development. <clears throat> yes. And, um, but you just can't develop all that. And it's just, it was always tough because we, you know, that idea is good, but there's only so many hours in the day. Mm-hmm. So it's, I hate to say no, and I hate to see a good idea go by that might have been the next great idea, but sure, the, there's only so many hours in the day. So it's, that's the tough one. Right. What do you say no to? But like any business owner, that development process is your sweat equity, your capital, if you're spending money, you know, that's, you know, it's your staff's time to do what they got to do. So you got to manage that because that's a finite resource. Right, right. And Hollywood is notorious for its parties and its distractions. And there are a countless, It's it seems like because the press is so fixated on Hollywood, all of the distractions are amplified even further. What do you do to mitigate those distractions yourself so you can focus on your business, on your family, and what's important in life? Uh, it's probably to a lot of people, television or entertainment looks like this fun thing, mm-hmm. which is great, but you don't really know how vast and broad it is hmm. until you really start thinking about it. And so I'm like, okay, I know my, I know the, the waiting pool I play in and try to stay in that pool. Cause mm-hmm. people come to me like, Hey, let's do an animated kid show. I don't do that. Right. Hey, let's do a scripted reality. Uh, Let's say, hey, let's do a scripted sitcom. I'm like, no, don't do that. You know, hey, why don't we make, you know, movies? I'm like, don't do that either. Uh, <laughs> sounds like I don't don't do anything. Uh, <laughs> but it's once you start looking at it and thinking like, you know, well, I like to watch, you know, American Idol and I like to watch Bachelor and I also, you know, go in movies and don't see Thor and I'm like. Now you're like, and I'm watching YouTube videos, you know, 
people doing pranks and I'm on Amazon with the Grand Tour, you start realizing like the whole breadth of what is entertainment and you carve out what you want. And so for me, I got to make sure I'm just staying in my category. Oh, and that, for me, I got to make sure that, you know, I'm staying in the categories I know because it's the learning curve is just too steep otherwise. Sure, sure. How has, this seems like a loaded question, I know, but how has the entertainment world changed just in the last 10 years? I mean, you talked a little bit about the trying to sell a product or sell content and the way the money flows. But as far as the content itself goes, how has that changed? Or or has it? Well, it's interesting because the online YouTubes of the world have visually changed how things come together. The way that the way they're edited, spliced together, faster cuts, kind of random cuts sometimes. Um, you know, because it's, it's being made by much younger you know, filmmakers out there, which is great. Um, and it's interesting how younger people are willing to accept content now. Mm. Um, when we're coming up, it's always about the best technology, the best cameras, the highest resolution, how how many pixels in the image. I mean, that was a whole thing, right? Right. Um, the guys who build all the equipment, the engineers that build TV and film equipment, we we do their award show. So, you know, I get to meet... The, I, I met the guy who made the television tube like two years ago. <laughs> like, he made the first television tube in like 1954. Nice. You know, I, I met the guy who uh, created slow-mo for sports. Like, somebody had to do that. Sure, sure. Um, so... There's always that mentality is like, oh, we're going to want the best, the most perfect. And 10 years ago, probably, we were in these conversations and they were talking about how much people are going to consume content on their mobile devices, right. their phones. And that really was, you know, we're still working on speeds and screen sizes and all that. And a lot of people I know in the business were like, that's ridiculous. People are going to go home on their 80-inch TV and see this big giant thing. And I'm like, you know, we got people walking around with, Television in their pockets. Yeah. You know, that's where people are going to want to be. And it still astounds me because it's a small image. Right. You know, and, you know, it's people are willing to not look for the best, the greatest technology, the most consumable technology. Right. Right. It's finding that middle of the road. And that's that's where, you know, even 10 years ago, I'm like, let's think of mobile, guys. How's how's this going to look on mobile? And um. I think that's just the change that's going on now. Sure, sure, sure. I mean, and now you know, and now we're talking about smart TVs. That's really we're right at the beginning of that age, right? Where your TV is just going to be a giant phone. It's just going to be a series of apps you're going to choose from, right? You're not you're not flicking channel up and channel down. Eventually, you're just going to have, you know, your Pluto app and your Roku app, and your and that's how you're going to and you're just going to go to search bar and say jet fuel cooking show. Right. And it's going to find it somewhere on one of your platforms, on one of your apps. Right. And that's where you're going to watch it. Right. You know, maybe with advertisers, maybe with lower third banner ads, who knows. But that's, that's the wave we're about ready to get into, which I think is pretty fascinating. So what are some of the benefits that owning Home Run Entertainment has afforded you? When I started the company, having left from the network side, the cable network starting the company, 
I was like, okay, I get to do what I love, which is making great content, and I can be in more control of schedules, times, people, who works on it, that sort of thing. And I can make a business out of it. I learned after a couple of years that I really liked being an entrepreneur mm-hmm. much more than being a television producer. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, I got that bug that I liked being a business owner. I liked trying to solve problems that seemed like they can't be solved. But then it also allowed me to, you know, live a good life. You know, I eventually had two little boys and we, you know, take our time off and we, you know, we play soccer and we kick the balls and we, you know, I can make my schedule work around their schedule. Hmm. So I try to, you know, at least one afternoon a week work from home. So, you know, we can hang out and you know do that together and I can coach soccer and I can help with computer class in second grade and <laughs> you know those sort of things you only get a chance to when kids are growing up mm-hmm. um and it's allowed me to you know travel and see a lot of the world and um both through pleasure trips and business trips mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know I've had been lucky to shoot in Europe and Japan and Australia and Germany um so I I like that being in control because I just I, I just think independence is very high my value list mm. i like independence that you know you can be in try to take control or at least have a lot more authority over your own actions so it's it's up to you to do the best you can if people wanted to get a hold of you and home run entertainment how would they do that uh if they want to see what's going on home run our facebook page uh home run entertainment is you know you can follow that and like that and see what's going on there uh, old-fashioned website, homerunent.com. Homerun is a contact us page um, that you can ping us at. Mm-hmm. So um, those are probably the two most simplest places to go. I mean, I'm Barry at homerunent.com. So they can always hit me up directly. And if somebody wants to watch some of your TV shows that you've produced, where can they find them? They're kind of all over. Uh, Jet Fuel with Jet Tila is our cooking show that's on youtube mm-hmm. and it's uh also on foodie tv so you can watch that there uh there's little clips of everything on our website mm-hmm. especially from the events we do mm-hmm. um so they can see more of that sort of thing uh, a lot of what we do is kind of white label productions for other companies so mm-hmm. you're probably seeing something of ours and not knowing it right and right. you're not you're not going to find it on my website right uh so you, you produce the content directly for the network that's distributing it. Yeah, or even we hadn't talked about working with brands, working with other you know, established companies. Right, right, um, right. That need content created. Very good. Um, and you can see the, the, the event side on, on my website. So Very good. Well, thank you very much for being on Small Business Celebration, Barry. You've given us a wealth of great information, and uh, we appreciate you being on the show. Excellent. That's great, Michael. I've been asked, who is a visioneer? A visioneer is a small business owner who's a pioneer that has vision. A visioneer is someone willing to see the world, not as it is, but as it could be, and is willing to do something about it. A visioneer is ethical, smarter, faster, and leaner than the mainstream competition. A visioneer gives value first because visioneers are in business for the long haul. Visioneers understand the difference between saving money and earning a profit. Visioneers define their destiny. Visioneers create their own luck. 
Visioneers surround themselves with successful, like-minded people. Visioneers are renegades who defy the mainstream competition and are ready to change the world. Are you a visioneer? Become a visioneer by joining the Tribe on Small Business Celebrations Facebook page and on Instagram today. Thank you for listening to the Small Business Celebration Podcast. Some of today's music was brought to you by Ted Hammond, and you may find more of Ted's music at ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. And that's ReverbNation.com forward slash Ted Hammond. Also, if you enjoyed this episode and gained some insight from it for your business, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes.com forward slash Small Business Celebration and give us a five-star review. If there is a business you'd like us to interview, reach out to us on Facebook and let us know. Until next time, I am your host, Michael Roberts of the Small Business Celebration Podcast, and we wish you a strong and profitable business.